Welcome to the Medfield College Film Society. We're all hunkered down tonight, the cold, icy hand of winter grabbing hold of us. And rainy, too. Uh, but a frigid wazia rolling over the mountains into our campus. It's, it's going to be a snowy one. The kind of wazia that can freeze a body solid just like that. Let's check in on our society members to make sure they're avoiding the elements keeping a pint of antifreeze in their radiators. From the Twin Cities, not the ones you're thinking of. This one's a little southern, but still frozen. Mr. Michael Crawford, how's it going? Oh, it's a little chilly out here. The barren wastes. Moors. My tauntaun froze up before I reached the first marker. <laughs> In the bitter cold of the Yukon of North Carolina, roughing it. In another undisclosed location, not the normal one. Mr. Andy Brown, how's it going, Andy? Boy, you're sounding a little different. <laughs> What's wrong with you? Well, reporting in from the ice queen city of Charlotte, a city of banking where the assets are frozen solid, Mr. Robert McSwain, how goes it? Uh, well, I mean, same winter storm blew through here earlier. We had a tornado warning and I was had to go to a dinner meeting in the middle of a tornado, <laughs> which, oh, to the, which to the chagrin of my wife, who was, told me I was crazy, but. Was it like a, like a back room smoky situation with a bunch of back slapping and, uh, yeah, pretty much deals. The, uh, yeah, the, uh, back room meeting with the boy scouts of America here in, in uh, town. Yeah. Was it the Earl Owensby room at the Western steer? Oh man, I wish. <laughs> Didn't get as high class as that. It doesn't get any more back room than that. That's right. I thought it, this, you know, it might be like the, you know, the beginning of a, <laughs> of a family film where he's advised not to go and he's like, I'm going anyways. And he gets caught up in the tornado. And at the end, you love your wife and kids more or something like that. I don't know. Nah, <laughs> it was all a dream. He woke up, kissed his wife and went and did the podcast. I can't believe you're going out in the middle of a tornado. <laughs> Robert. Forget a meeting about the boy scouts. <laughs> That is not how my wife sounds, by the way. And now That's you're how my doing the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> now you're going to do the podcast. Well, we should do the podcast. Um, a real special one this week, I would say, for the winter times. Michael, what are we watching tonight? Well, tonight we are watching the 1972 Disney classic Snowball Express. Directed by Norman Tokar, written by Don Tate and Jim Parker and Arnold Margolin. Based on the book Chateau Bon Vivant, a great title, uh, by Frank and John O'Rear, and uh, produced by Ron Miller. This is a Ron Miller joint. Based on The Shining. Yeah. This is a Ron <laughs> Miller joint in you know every sense of the word. This is kind of like a the greatest hits compilation, like the middle of the bullseye, really. It really is. Well, and and the cast, I mean, we've got Dean Jones and Nancy Olson, both of whom we've seen in several pictures. But my gosh, it is character actor central. We've got Harry Morgan, got Keenan Wynn, George Goober Lindsay. We've got Michael McGreevy, fresh from his uh appearances at Medfield College, got the great Mary Wicks in a minor role. Johnny Whitaker, child star, and Kathleen Cody as Dean Jones's daughter. Uh, 
just a ton of people in these credits to make me happy. Oh yeah. And a, in a rich, I mean, Norman Tokar again, people we've seen, uh, their offerings many a time. Absolutely. Andy, I bet you know the formula at this point, right? Nothing's going to shock you anymore. Is it? No, no, it's not. And, uh, and like you were saying, there's a lot of familiar faces in this cast, and it, but it kind of left me feeling kind of strange. It's kind of an odd feeling. I'm not really sure how to feel about this movie. So I'm hoping as we talk through it, it'll, uh, I'll feel, you know, I'll be able to figure it out and put my thumb on it. I, I got to say, not to give too much away, I'm, I'm kind of the same. But th- this one, I guess we, we, sh- we should say, did not factor into our childhoods that much, Michael. I did I did not see this till I was an adult, and I don't know how that happened. Yes. I don't know how there is a Dean Jones movie about winter recreation with Keenan Wynn right. and Harry Morgan and Nancy right. Elson and all these people. Uh, I don't know how we never saw it. How is I, that? I remember seeing understand. it in the video store. And surely they had showed the, it on uh, the Disney Channel. I mean, it's not like they yeah. would hold that one back for any reason. Yeah. I, um, I just have no idea how we didn't watch it. I went in thinking I hadn't seen it, but after watching it, there were certain scenes that, that, that played back in my head. So I, I must've seen it on the Disney channels. My only explanation, maybe once, but I don't think I must've been playing with a Lego set. Cause I wasn't real. I don't, I don't have a lot of memory of it other than just what, when you watched moments. it this recent time or back when you were a kid. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah I must've been I was in my early late thirties. This is my son's worldview. Like maybe I watched it while I was playing with the Lego set, but, um, all right. Well, I think we should talk about it. Let's, uh, hit the slopes guys. It's wonderfully wintry weather out here. Uh, except for the warm fronts. Uh, I want to think snow. So let's hit the slopes. You know the world of Snowball Express. Buena Vista Pictures. We're back, guys, and it feels so good. It's triumphant this time. Yeah. Yes. That's so well it should be. None of that cheap synth junk, huh, Andy? Yeah. Yeah. Guys, like it's like a I don't know, just like a warm blanket suddenly. Yeah, over. give me a trombone fanfare any day of the week over that crap. Um <laughs> anyway, we surprisingly for a movie called Snowball Express, we open on a city skyline with a business motif. Like a sure enough, we're off to the office. With wood paneling as far as the eye can see. Brown everything. Brown typewriters. Man, I miss my era, you know? Yeah. So this could have been nice to just go to work at a place like this. You know, the old the old uh, rat race, guys. It's New York City, wasn't it? I thought so. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, I saw the Empire State Building in the background. Okay. okay. I, did, I didn't, uh, yeah, really. New York City. The Big think, Apple. The, I mean, I would assume it was like, you know, what 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 would the Disney name for New York City be? I don't know. Med Medburg, <laughs> out of Duckburg. I don't know. It'd probably be just like Capital City. Yeah, there we go. Yeah, there we go. There we That's go. Good. Yeah, Capital City. Well, we see Dick Van Patten right off the bat as Mister Carruthers, 
the manager, and uh, he comes out and surveys his domain. Mr. Carruthers, played by Dick Van Patten, could anything be more 1970s than that in a wood paneled office? I know. We just get a little taste of the Van Patten here. It's, it's a it's a good taste, though. It's a I Van Patten like tease. Taste, yeah. So he comes out and surveys his domain, and as he does, Baxter, uh, Mr. Baxter, played by Dean Jones, is coming one minute tardy, clocking into a giant computer that blinks a bright orange. You know, these computers are so precise. Oh, Technology is so the hard to deal with. Yes, exactly. That, so, that made me laugh, though. I mean, I was just like, good grief. It was like, that time like clock over is the top. ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. It's like well, a Doctor clock, Who but- set from the time or something. <laughs> <laughs> the computer, uh, of course, I was too young to remember this, but my father worked at a, at a office in Shelby, and uh, they bought a hand-me-down computer from IBM. Or it was an IBM. They bought it from WBTV in Charlotte. Ooh. And it took up an entire room, and it was all punch card operated. And um, now it probably looked nothing like this, but in, in my mind's eye, that was the computer that my my father worked on. Well, so yeah, the, there's a the there's seventies. There's a time card computer, and then there's a giant punch card computer, yeah. uh, cutting run, running down the length of a wall, and yeah. you know it's. It's there to symbolize the man, essentially, even though it's a machine. It truly right? is. It's it's making a statement. Yes. Yes. At some point online, I I looked up this movie. I should have looked this up for this episode. Uh, there was some website that was like old computers and movies. And mm-hmm. it was like Snowball Express. And it was like deeply analyzed because this was like a real computer that they had oh. like hacked for the All movie. Right. And uh, it's like, this is a classic example of a whatever, whatever system, you know? That may have been it thing. My dad worked in an accounting office, and that's what he was doing, was accounts receivable and stuff. So, What if that was the exact same computer? Far out, man. You're freaking me out. We need to get my dad on that podcast now. We'll talk to him. Mick Swain, work begins at 9 (laughs) a.m. Ah, geez. Well, Carruthers (laughs) stops him immediately, fusses at him being late chides him to take care of his personal business on his own time well what's that about mr baxter's desk also known as johnny uh, there is an attorney waiting for him he says that one jacob barnesworth has died huh who's that well it's his great uncle on his mother's side and johnny is the next of kin and thus heir to the estate you can kind of see him slowly puff up in that wonderful Dean Jones way. Yeah. The principal asset of the estate is the Grand Imperial Hotel in Silver Hill, Colorado. So uh, that sounds good, right? That sounds like sounds like they could be promising, right? Dean, Dean seems to think so because it goes from who to oh yeah, he starts to put on the act like yeah he's. I got to point out, though, the lawyer, uh, Larry Tate from Bewitched. Yes, from Bewitched. Exactly. Mm. Though the hotel is small, it's reported in the will to make $14,000 a month. Uh, Johnny is incredulous, doesn't quite know what to do with himself about that. So he's uh, showing his hand a little bit. What did you guys think of the name Johnny for Dean Jones? I thought it was pretty ridiculous. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny. Johnny. Yet Johnny Baxter is a great 
yeah. a great name. But yeah, calling him Johnny is just odd. The whole well, there, there came a time where they were calling him, I think it was when Nancy Olsen was calling him, and it's like, is it Charlie? That would kind of make more sense. Yeah. And I, had, I looked it up. It's like, yep, it is John, Johnny. Johnny. Robert, Bass. it reminded me of the uh, movie script you wrote when we were in college. And, right. And, and yes. Johnny. Johnny. Jeff was Johnny in that script, wasn't he? That was the plan. I think so, yeah. yeah. Well, anyway, in this script, the attorney has a letter from a Mr. Ridgway who is interested in buying the property in case he wants to sell out. And Johnny says, no way. No way. Not going to sell. 14000 a month? No way. As the attorney leaves, Johnny ponders his situation and starts to pack up his things immediately, which cracked me up. He was wasting no time. No thought or like didn't call up the hotel or anything. Nope. Just right into it. It's uh, pre-internet, you know? It's harder to look up stuff. Yeah, that's true. You just had to quit your job and go find out. And he quit. Well, yeah. So he starts whistling and gives a speech, tendering his resignation, which reminded me of uh, the intro to Shaggy Da. You know where he does the Harold yes. Hillbill. I I kept expecting him to break into song because he kind of gets that tone in his voice. <laughs> well, I'm folks, like, I have yeah, yeah, to say. Well, folks, yeah, yeah. So he starts giving away his office uh, accoutrement. He gives his stapler to Jim, who has been at the water cooler the most. So on and so forth, including some little Me Too action, telling yes. someone she has the most wonderful legs and was great for morale. Incredibly <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> she's into it, though. Yeah, she's, 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 she's yeah. a little thank you kiss. She and appears is to be. The weirdly mute girl. <laughs> and it's like she has no nothing to say. Just silent. Better seen than not heard in those days, I guess, was the thought. Anyway, Carruthers comes out confused at the spectacle, and Johnny goes up to the computer to throw all his computer cards in it at once. It causes the paper to print out nonstop, and then he goes to the timing computer and hits it, and a giant burglar alarm sounds, which cracked me up. It's like, (laughs) why why would that be that alarm? And everyone applauds as he waves farewell, so that's great. Which reminds me, I got to tell you guys, I mean, this is apropos of nothing, but his wave was kind of a this vibe. Uh, Today, when I was leaving daycare, my daughter gave a Nixon wave. Oh, Oh, man, that would be awesome (laughs) if she just started doing a Nixon wave. He kind of does a Nixon wave. He does. I even made a note of it in my notes as well. I was like, that's an amazing wave right there. (laughs) Yeah, because he's got his hat and his coat, you know, Yeah, really. uh, Can I ask just something about... And this is something I'm going to raise throughout the movie, uh, or was an issue for me throughout the movie. Not an issue, but just something I noticed. Uh, were these scenes just shot really strangely? Does it? Did anyone else just notice that? Uh, it was very odd to me how everything was staged, I guess you could say, and shot. Because you, it was basically like it was a set, almost like a TV set. And yeah, they had one like camera on one end of the room and just kind of filmed everything from that. It almost felt like they were shooting like a stage performance. I mean, at times, yes, yes, like the exactly. three camera shoot type thing. Yeah. But I, yeah. I, the, the TV show thing, I definitely got that feeling. Cause I, as you said that I was saying, I was thinking to myself, I, I didn't felt it, sh- it was strange, but at the same time, 
it felt like a 70s TV show. <laughs> I felt yeah. that way at the uh, at the hotel. When they get to the hotel, I felt like, yes. well, they just popped one wall out and just did their best. Yeah, that's totally the vibe I get throughout the whole movie. And the film is shot in like flat, like Academy ratio. It's so weird to me at this point in time. It's not even like 185 to 1 or any kind of widescreen thing. It's... Like, I don't know if it was matted in the theaters or what, but on Disney Plus, it's just in like 133 to 1, which is like old timey, old timey. So, no uh, cinemascope on this one. No need. It's just about the gags, guys. Yeah. Well, back home, the wife is, may I just say, rightfully incredulous that he quit. Yes. I mean, I feel like no matter what, they kind of. And, and she has her own arc we can discuss later. But I feel like at the beginning, they always make the wife look like just like the battle axe in all these movies. It's like, well, yeah, it's ridiculous that he would quit. Yeah. Um, I was excited that I recognized the actress. There you go. There you go. Like, this is from Absent Mind Professor Lady. Yeah, Which is crazy because the nut and then right. has to deal with yeah. that. This is proof how close those movies were to production, and yet seems so far away just because the format of, and that Fred McMurray was, you know, such an old film star. Mm-hmm. Anyway, there's Wait, a great. Hang on, hang on. That's an interesting point, though. So was he, would he have been that much older than? I'm sorry, I don't know the actress's name. Nancy, Nancy Olson. Yeah, Nancy yes. Olson. I think he's a good deal older than her, right? Ah, okay. He would have to be. I wonder if she yeah. was older than Dean Jones. In well, that. we got to find out right now. Well, right? we'll just have to look, yeah. Nancy Olson, born 1928. Still alive as well. Dean wow. Jones, born 1931. On. She's still alive, Robert. Get her on the pod. Yeah, we're on the pod. So there are only two, three years difference. Fred McMurray, born 1908. There you go. Wow. So, so he was to, a full 20 years older than her when they were filming yeah. Absent Mind. I always thought that was a ridiculous. Yeah. Anyway. But uh, yeah, she's a little uh, cougar action with Johnny Baxter. Yeah. Daddy. Three years. Three years. Uh, but anyway, uh, there's a great gag here, I think. You know, yes. his, his daughter runs off crying. Uh, Johnny says he feels like he's. Been digging himself into a hole. Today, someone offered him a rope. It's time to stand on his own two feet and discover his own individuality. And by this time, the wife and the son have both left. And we finally see the St. Bernard, whose name is... Stoutheart! Stoutheart! (laughs) (laughs) Leaving, and we hear the sound of a door shutting, which made me laugh out loud. Like, (laughs) yeah, me too. (laughs) It's just so ridiculous and such a little throwaway thing, but everybody essentially leaves them alone. So that did make me feel immediately better because I was like, here they go with the wife that's harsh, but then they made it clear that no, everybody uh, thinks he's crazy. Yes. Even stout hard. And yet, <laughs> despite that, they go. I have a quick question though, concerning his apartment. Go yeah, please. Uh, or so is where, it a where house? I thought, well, he probably lived in a, looked like a, a, an apartment. I thought it was, an oh, apartment. I guess yeah. it's Capital City. Sorry. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. Capital City. Uh, where does this rank on Dean Jones' domiciles? I'd say pretty it's low. Pretty, pretty low. Yeah. Just got yeah, that one little hallway with everybody's in the rooms. Orange on chair. It. Yeah. It's about to be higher. Well, now we cut to a 
Great shot of the family pulling into Silver Hill, Colorado in a station wagon to some lovely music <laughs> done by Brunner and Marks, who we've heard a lot of through the years. I don't I know, know, I want to add one little thing, though. He says, we're all becoming holes punched into a card. And I was mm, like, ooh, that's deep, man. deep thought. Some profound. Deep. Yeah. I do like his line read on like going to Silver Hill. Yeah. Colorado. <laughs> that's a great line read. This music, it's a little fiddle banjo piano. It's very country bear jamboree, I thought. I didn't like it. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> I was like, this is appropriate. I got to point out, uh, and which will be another running theme throughout the movie, uh, filmed on location. This is no uh, yes. movie set backlot. Crested well, yeah. Butte. Yeah. Crested very, Colorado. very real. Well, the, the GM wouldn't catch the, the welcome to Silver Hill sign. Mm-hmm. What did no. it say at the bottom? Mm hmm. Said M- Mother Load City of the Gunnison Range. Yeah, there you go. Mm. Put that, that on the something t-shirt. To you? Does that <laughs> mean something <laughs> to you? <laughs> I don't. I mean, it seems strange that, that somebody in the props department you know, thought that would be what would needs to be the city motto. Or I'm just saying, yeah. it seems strange. <laughs> well, okay, the family is lost, so they stop and ask directions. <laughs> and who is it? But the redheaded guy from Son of Flubber and who knows what else. I mean, he's everywhere. What's his name, Michael, the, the character actor? Oh, uh, Michael McGreevy, the Thank, yeah. from uh, the Medfield movies. He's Dexter's yes, of course. Yeah. But everyone's gawking at them, uh, and mostly the women. They're just, like, staring, which is pretty weird. This may be my favorite scene in the whole movie for a you few know, reasons. It's weird, but it actually feels very appropriate. I mean, yeah. you guys know what small mountain towns are like, and yeah. an outsider comes in and everyone turns and looks and right. everybody's just kind of sitting around hanging out another reason oh. it feels appropriate is that you know george goober Lindsay working the fill-in station again yeah. it's like old times with a beard yeah and don't you have a uh don't hassle me i'm local shirt yeah i do <laughs> that's good from what about bob <laughs> uh yeah it's a good thing dean jones's car wasn't lurching that's true. That's true. <laughs> have Goober there waiting. Uh, yeah, Goober is double L. Mm-hmm. It's a good name. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Did you meet Goober Andy when he crossed our paths? I didn't, and it was one of. I was so sad that I never got to meet him. How did he cross your path? He played at a certain uh, venue that Andy and I shared an employment at. Ah, was it a like one man show? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, singing or or I think a joking. bit of both. Yeah, did comedy, singing, he was just doing his thing. Yeah. You know? Do it all. Bitter on your behalf that you missed that. Yeah. Uh the the people at the filling station don't know where the hotel is, but they do know Crazy Jake or Johnny's uncle, great uncle or whatever, and they start laughing about Jake's place. So maybe the Grand Imperial Hotel isn't all it's cracked up to be. My question is though, how did they not know about the hotel? I mean, this I is know. a small town. That's ah, ridiculous. There can't be a, yeah. They give a set of very colorful directions, and then we see the family set off in this station wagon over the snow. I don't know how this station wagon gets anywhere, except it's probably <laughs> one of the heaviest cars ever created. I thought the same thing. I was yeah. like, how is this going? And then I was like, oh, it's the 70s, and this car probably weighed like 50 tons. The guy's knowledge on that. Yeah, I don't know. Man. I got to shout out a couple of things, though, from this conversation they have at the gas station. And one is when uh, the redheaded guy who I... He's Skylar in the Medfield movie, so I just think of him as Skylar. 
uh, he's kind of giving them directions to this place and it's like real country directions. Like there's a red barn and then there's a chuck hole in the road. So you turn left and this sort of stuff. And, uh, what, whether it's Johnny or his wife asks, is there a sign there? And he says, no, it blew up. <laughs> Which I thought was a fun detail. But the best part, my favorite thing in the movie was right as they're getting ready to pull away, there's like a silence, and this like ancient dude sticks his head face in the window of the car and says, Are you related to Crazy Jake? And nobody <laughs> says anything, and there's just silence, and then they drive off. That's my favorite thing. That guy should have won an Oscar. Marvelous. <laughs> it's the best. Oh. Uh, Skylar's name is, is Wally in this movie, Wally. which is very, very fitting. I think that's a good, yeah, appropriate. Uh, finally they reach the hotel and it's boarded up and run down to the point where the son asks, how bad did you break it off with Mr. Carruthers? This son we may, might add is wise beyond his years. Perhaps. Yes. Is that the same kid? What was that show that had like a Butler with two kids in it? You know, it was from the you're thinking movie. Mr. Belvedere. No, no, no. Uh, the family, affair? Affair? family affair, family affair. Yeah. Is that the same kid? I think, yeah, so. I think so. Okay, there's a long silence as the family inspects the building, and further investigation reveals it is indeed the Grand Imperial Hotel. I love that window, though. It's cool, it's like a Tiffany window. Uh, then we get to this whole motif of Johnny trying to be Sunnyside. Uh, inside it's a beautiful Victorian lodge just covered in cobwebs and drop cloth. So it's completely abandoned. Uh, Johnny is, you know, talking about the good things, but the family isn't feeling it. And I take their, I mean, what, why would you think you could run a hotel out of this place? Right. The wife finds some raccoons in the ovens and uh somehow they're still unloading the station wagon this is never uh sue is her name i should say yeah. uh th- it is never decided to abort mission they're just like going for it despite yeah. all the prevailing winds yeah he's like we're gonna sleep here and i'd be like no he's like, it's a hotel it's like no are you crazy no does the bat come out before or after it comes out the bat, the bat is first the bat first, first. Yeah. okay Get a nice bat flying effect. Somehow, incredulously, we cut to the wife getting in bed with the husband, and they were like chilling, talking about, you know, just having a marital conversation. She's like, Yes, we, we still have seventeen hundred dollars. I'll stretch a long way. It's okay. Well, Baxter reveals that the computer repair cost was over a hundred dollars and the lawyer cost a thousand, so hmm, they don't have mm, as much of a nest egg as they thought. Johnny, come on. And that, the gas on that car had to cost a fortune to get across the country <laughs> from the capital city. All I could think of was how ratty the mattresses must be at this place. I'm like, how can you sleep on that ratty old mattress? <sighs> the heating is never fully explained. They're like, start that fire. It's like, that's nah, not going to do it. Nope. <laughs> um, all of a sudden, we hear a Foley noise is downstairs. A real potpourri of good Foley in this movie, I would say. <laughs> and some real Imagineering stock Foley. Uh, yes. For, for uh, instance, a good uh, Jimmy McDonald pile of pans getting pulled yes. off the table there. Uh, Stout Heart doing the Pirates of the Caribbean dog noises. You know? Yes. 
downstairs, kind of, not before the shadow of the dog scares the kids, who in turn scares the dog, who go ju- and jumps on the bed, making the weirdest noise and breaking the bed. Yeah. Like, oh. Dog acting, Robert, what'd you think? Uh, I wasn't paying a whole lot of attention to Stoutheart. Robert. Uh, he, he seemed to be kind of in the background too much for me to really notice him. So that may be a testament to how bad his acting was. We're good. So, uh, we're good. Hey, you, you blend in like a good extra. You just blend in. So down they go to investigate. Sure enough, they find in the kitchen, Harry Morgan dressed up in fur. <laughs> Always excited to see him. Do you, was that, so they're shooting on location. Do you think they're actually shooting in an old, like, no, house that's a set. Is that a set? That's got to be a set. Well, they, but they tear it apart later in the movie. Yeah, but it looked real. I mean, like the background and everything looked exactly like it, the house did. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Uh, the shots outside. There was a. There were shots when they were unloading the car, and they kind of get in a little snow shenanigans. And uh, I just thought lighting all those shots in the snow must have been terrible because there are shots where like they're in front of like real ski slopes. And so the white is like washing out or like everybody's in shadow because they're getting like washed out. So I imagine they had to throw a ton of light on people. It must've been difficult. Yeah. I was just thinking about, I didn't know if Robert, you had thought about that the whole time or what? No, it looked to me. It looked, I thought about it. It looked very much like a set to me in, in, in the interiors. Mm-hmm. That was my take. A really good set though. It's amazing. This hotel. Okay. Well, so he's looking for some hooch he had stashed in here last summer, but last Johnny had scared him and he broke the bottle. He says, Oh, are you the new cockadoodle-doo around here? Says his name is Jesse McCord. Jake grubstaked me and let me stay here for 40 years. We were going to split down the middle just as soon as I made my strike. So guys, I, at this point, very happy. Any Harry Morgan makes me happy. And the fact that he's kind of a, prospector character yes. near to well i mean come on when i was watching this movie thinking about what i was going to score it i was like could i give it two writing scores one for the rest of the movie and one for harry morgan's lines because <laughs> it's like he had his own script doctor or something because everything he says is just great i mean he had a great prospector line there you don't uh, you don't know split beans from coffee coming up on a person like that so that's good. It's quality <laughs> stuff, man. He knows his prospector character and he plays it well. Johnny says things have changed. He has to rent a room, $10 in advance. So, so you're really going to rent a room to this guy is your first border. You're going to run a hotel and rent to this guy. Question is uh, business acumen at this point. <laughs> it's like in this huge empty hotel, it's my family and this unknown boozed up, prospector fellow right that we don't know uh he's getting his son to help hoist his backpack on finally you know he's he's makes to leave in the blizzard he's playing pitiful none of the family but johnny wants him to leave he's telling a bunch of stories the family's loving it and like i said it's getting the son to put his backpack back on johnny finally gives in says he'll have to work for it jesse says he'll be the best bartender they ever had Johnny says, Bell hop. 
I question how much the daughter would be into having this guy stay. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. she's like, really wife. like, daddy. Yeah. It, was a, it was a different time in yeah. 72, I guess. I feel like Dean Jones is really channeling his Jimmy Stewart in this scene here. He was really just, whoa, 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 whoa. what do you think you're doing around here? Wait, what's going on? Just over and over again. I kept like cracking up. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> Yeah, he gets in some good Dean Jones-isms there. I never thought about that connection. But you're Studied right. with Jimmy Stewart for the summer before. <laughs> the next day we see the stables, I guess you could call them, or sheds of some sort. Jesse's teaching Baxter about the ways and history of the hotel and the grounds. Well, the wife interrupts and shows a fish that was caught in the water. How does this happen? Just fish <laughs> in the water curious. line? Happens all the time. Johnny's frustrated and asks about a bank in town. Well, there is a bank, but it is run by the guy who expressed interest in buying the property. And who is that? Andy? It's our buddy. It's Mr. <laughs> it's, your uh, it's your boy. Yeah. <laughs> it's my boy. <laughs> Keenan Wynn. Oh, Hawk himself. That's right. He's uh, uh, Alonzo P. Hawk moonlighting as Ridgeway. Um but he's very Alonzo P. Hawk, really. Yes. You know? it's just, he is. I kind of thought that, too. I was like, oh, they should have just made him Hawk. I, yeah. I said I said the same thing. I said, I wish they just inexplicably made it Hawk. Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah that's how my notes. I like, every was, town was, has was, their Hawk, and he should have just. You, got, you missed that Hawk touch. <laughs> We're going to call you Ridgeway this one, Keenan. I loved his introduction, though, because I think the line was that they said, you know, right, right, and then they cut immediately to Hawk, and he... And he goes, wrong. (laughs) (laughs) He was Hawk, but he was like Hawk dialed back just a little bit. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he wasn't quite. It was not. Yeah. No, Herbie. They totally could have cut him loose, though, as Hawk. They could have. Take this character. Yeah. Well, Johnny goes to see him at the bank, and Ridgeway tells him there's no collateral for a loan. It's not a good investment, which, I mean, this is true. It's not a good investment. Yeah. Uh, Johnny says, well, how, how can that be if you offered to buy the hotel? That's also a good question. Ridgeway said he's had a dream for some time into making that a memorial for Jake, the Jacob Farmsworth home for boys. And then we start to get look takes from the secretary listening to this. And I mean, just over and over again, just rolling her eyes and, uh, you know, this is our, uh, I guess our Grecian, the, uh, the Greek the chorus. Yeah. The Greek <laughs> chorus. Yeah. <laughs> Again, I mentioned this before, but how just oddly I found the way this movie was shot. And a lot of these scenes in this office are that way too. It's just kind of from a weird angle. And I don't know, the staging of it's just so odd to me. And it, and it was almost as if they were shooting it for like in front of a live studio audience, that kind of feel, you know, that yeah. cut to someone sitting there. Then you hear like the crowd laugh at the secretary for making the face. And then they should go back to, or not, maybe not necessarily a live studio audience, but a laugh track or something. Yeah. And just, yeah. Uh, yeah. You got that feel. Well, Johnny says he has to go talk it over with his wife. Um, after he leaves, Ridgeway says, if that fool knew what he had there, he wouldn't be coming in here hat in hand. So, hmm. Wonder what he has. We cut to Johnny and his wife talk, walking over the hills, talking about maybe they could have made it. It would have been a good life. His wife says she's starting to like it. Why would she like it? Yeah. 
Well, once we had the hobo move in, everything right? turned around for me. Yeah. <laughs> hobo to, hobos make everything better. Just then we see the son of Flubber guy, I guess Wally, whatever his name is, coming up on a snowmobile. They start talking about snowmobiles, and he tells them of a snowmobile race that happens from time to time and begins to take off. But Johnny stops and says, is this all my snow? He realizes he has a whole mountain full of snow that belongs to him and starts whooping and being excited. He has thought of turning the hotel into a ski lodge. But again, we've talked about Johnny's due diligence. How did he not know how much land he owned? Well, Come on, man. Yes. Come on, Johnny. He says it's the most popular sport in the country. I love their list of yeah. like bowling and <laughs> like all the stuff they come up with that is could be more popular than skiing. Like, what's the most popular sport? Bowling? No. I, I also like Wally's line where he's getting real excited about the snow, and Wally says, "Can't get that much for snow around here, you know." <laughs> Wally has some good lines. Thanks, Wally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, now he's back in the hotel talking on the phone with a banker, and things are looking good. Mr. Wainwright, the banker, wants to meet on the ski slope, but Johnny doesn't even know what he's doing on skis. What's going to happen? Stay tuned. Act two, coming up. Well, of, of course, I love to ski, doesn't everybody? <laughs> Nothing like it, sir, yeah? Oh. That's fine, Mr. Wainwright. One o'clock. I'll be there. He loves the idea. Wants to meet this afternoon. But, Johnny... Wally, do you have boots and skis and clothes and stuff I can borrow? Oh, sure. Right. Johnny, what's this all about? You love to ski. Honey, a bank is not going to loan money for a ski lodge to a guy that doesn't know anything about skiing. But, honey, I've got to make him think I know what I'm doing. I made that mistake with Ridgeway. I told him I didn't know anything about running a hotel. I'm not going to make that same mistake twice. And so, Johnny Baxter hits the slopes in in an incredible red sweater <laughs> with a jumping deer on the front. Uh, I confess to spending way too much time on Etsy looking for vintage jumping deer sweater red after watching this movie in the yeah. vain hopes that it would appear. Could we make a Medfield Christmas sweater next year in this pattern? Ooh. Oh, yes. Oh, wow. Now, yeah, now we're talking. <laughs> yeah, we got to do it. There needs to be, like, in the archives, there needs to be a Dean Jones wardrobe section somewhere. <laughs> yeah, there oh, should be. Great. I wonder if they have this sweater. And, it, it you know, if you, because he said he was going to borrow all his stuff from, because he doesn't have any ski stuff. And Wally's like, you can borrow mine. So I'm guessing he borrowed the sweater from Wally, which makes it even better. The backstory that Wally owned the sweater. Yeah, <laughs> man. Also, he's he's reading How to Ski 1970 edition Mark IV, which I thought <laughs> no. was hilarious. Mark IV. Only for the most advanced yeah. uh, amateur skier. Well, Johnny's at a ski resort in Crystal Highlands, I assume which is where this bank is. He's walking around with his skis over his shoulder, nearly causing many injuries. Johnny doesn't need to be here doing this. Um, he finally nearly decapitates someone who turns out to be Mr. Wainwright. Mr. Wainwright is envious of Johnny's boldness in chucking it all to pursue something he loves, i.e. skiing. And they do a little walk and talk as they make their way up to the ski lift. And Johnny, of course, can barely make it in his skis. He keeps about 
having disasters happen and Wainwright doesn't seem to notice. Uh, Wainwright's talking business and Johnny's trying just not to kill himself. Uh, they are going to the top of a ski run called Nightmare Alley. <laughs> but the very jovial Mr. Wainwright thinks Johnny will enjoy it because he's just such a diehard skier. Um, can we talk about the chairlift they get on? Because it looks like a death trap. Yeah, it, does. it doesn't, doesn't look great. Um, it was of the era, though. I mean, a, a lot of, I mean, I mean, a lot of them were like that. That's the way they were. Yeah. I, oh, I believe it. I believe it yeah. because uh, it was the seventies. But still, man, all I could, I mean, no, no rail, no bar, no nothing. Just. No, I remember watching this the first time, thinking, I wonder how long they're going to milk this, like he can't ski thing, and it's. <laughs> significant oh, they, they, get, they get their they get their fill out of it yeah yeah <laughs> oh, they're gonna milk it all right i also thought about mr wainwright has a weird football player turned actor vibe which <laughs> it felt to me like he dropped in from gus this guy yeah yes. I see that yeah he's a very sort of blustery fellow but very jovial as well so question are you, any of you guys skiers i know I'm not I call myself a skier per se. No. Right. Did you, have you ever skied? I have skied. Yes. You have I've cross country skied once. <laughs> oh, interesting. What about you, Robert? Uh, I went skiing once in middle school. Mm, wow. And did not yeah. like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was just curious. I, I grew up skiing a bunch, so I was just curious. I, I kind of get the feeling that you guys were like, weren't ski fans no so, i'm so. not uh, and i went to school with, with ski slopes next door to my campus and yeah. i never went to one of them once and yeah, i wouldn't say i'm it. not a fan i just never did i mean we just never did growing up because we weren't close to it you know right yeah so, that makes that makes sense do you, i mean i would have uh, loved it yeah you have any uh words of wisdom for us from a ski no it was just I mean, I just remember when I was first learning how to ski and just watching them know how terrified I was. Because, uh, fun fact, I, when I was younger, I was kind of slightly pigeon-toed. And so when you're skiing and you've got two skis kind of pointed towards each other, it's oh, really no, easy yeah. to kind of crash. But you do kind of also get a natural wedge, which is good as a, as a beginner. Uh, and so just those initial fears from when I was a kid and when that would happen. But, uh, oh. yeah. But, uh, no, yeah, I, it was just fun to watch. <laughs> Yeah, watching it now as a busted old dude, it gives me agita. But as a kid, I would have I would have loved it as a kid. Yeah. Anyway, they get to the top of the lift, and uh, per Jeff's per Jeff's hopes of ski pratfalls, Johnny has a pratfall trying to get off. Uh, he kind of he doesn't lift his skis and just plops down on the ground. He can barely stand up. That right, that almost happened to me. My one time going up the slopes and down yeah. was all I did once. But getting off the ski lift, I, I fell flat on my face. <laughs> it is it is tough, especially for a new skier. It is a it's not an easy thing to do. And then my buddy that was with me was like, "All right, I'll see you later," and then took off. <laughs> and like my ski fell off my you know my binding, and I didn't know how to get it back on. And I'm standing there, and then like the guy at the chairlift was like laughing at me. It was a whole ordeal. <laughs> And <laughs> I finally got it back on and then like fumbled down the slope. And then I was like, this is miserable. <laughs> I didn't go I'm down done. backward. Maybe if I've gone down backward. It would have been better, but yeah. you didn't even get your bank loan either. No, I didn't get a bank loan out of it. Yeah. yeah. 
I can't imagine any of this going on as encouraging to Mr. Wainwright, but he seems pretty oblivious to it all. He's he's just kind of chill with everything happening, and Johnny's floundering around in the snow. Uh, Johnny tries to fake an old football injury before they can enter Nightmare Alley. And, uh, you know, they're like, Wainwright's like, no, let's get, you know, let's get some coffee or something. Wait, and it'll get better. He's like, no, 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 you go ahead. Sends Wainwright on ahead. And uh, Baxter intends to take the ski lift down the slopes. But before he can do that, he loses control, knocks over a rack of skis belonging to a bunch of angry 70s people who chew him out for his clumsiness. These people are fun extras. (laughs) Come on, you're so stupid, man. (laughs) (laughs) Amazing Foley work, as always. Yeah. Yeah. And the shot of just all these skis just going down the slope (laughs) makes me nervous. (laughs) (laughs) He tries to apologize, but one of the guys says, (laughs) will you get out of here? And uh, great line read pushes Johnny down the slope. And thus begins the first zany skiing scene of the film. And uh, these are kind of weird to quantify for me. Uh, On one hand, you've got, half actual scenes of stunt skiers pulling off some pretty wild gags, like actual skiers on the slopes doing these kind of crazy things. Then on the other hand, it consists half of really awkward rear projection scenes of Johnny skiing and doing the Dean Jones. Whoa. 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 Oh man. Lots of this. Whoa. whoa, whoa. Yeah. That's just gotta be like the ultimate. Whoa. Whoa. whoa, Yeah. This is peak. Yeah. I got to say, you know, there's just, we can't overemphasize enough how long this goes on for. <laughs> but, I mean, I you cannot convince me some of these people didn't break their necks, A. Yeah! And B, I don't understand the stunt, like the, the Dean Jones stunt skiers. Like, how they did that. There's, like, this, such an odd posture that keeps going on where they throw their hands straight up in the air and like almost back behind their heads. And I just don't understand how it's accomplished. The abdominal power is significant. I, I mean, it's so weird because it's like half of it's really impressive and half of it's just ridiculous. And maybe they had the camera on a slant and they were actually going forward and, and then they rolled the, the film backward. <laughs> See, that'd I mean. be impressive. <laughs> I feel like if the cutaways to Johnny had been tighter, it would have worked better. Because, I mean, they're clearly doing location studio shooting for a lot of the stunts. So I think making the Baxter scenes less obvious that it was rear projection would have helped. Like, they could have cut in kind of tight on his face and have him do the whoa, whoa, whoa. And it wouldn't be quite so obvious that, like, he's on the electric bull, like, bucking around or whatever with his skis. I don't know. Anyway, Johnny tears by Mr. Wainwright. Wreaks havoc on a number of fellow skiers. I have to call out the lady he runs into and grabs. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and she says, aren't you a tease? Why did you pick me when there are so many pretty girls on the slope? Oh, man. That happens every time I go. She's she so a weird. floppy hat on, too. Yeah, she's things. like dressed like Holly Golightly or something. And <laughs> says, why did you pick me when there are so many pretty girls on the slope? And she's into it. And... uh but then they had like some real skier like doing that because like, they do the cutaways. So, so weird. Also, made me wonder what the ADR sessions must have been like this for uh, for this. Like yeah. Dean in the studio just letting him rip. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, let's do it again. 
That's great, Dean. Let's let's do that again and a little longer this time. Anyway, there are a million stunts. Um, I don't know why they needed to have the close-up cutaway when Johnny does the flip to his like upside, like literally holding the camera upside down and rotating it. Oh boy! Whoa! Along the way, Johnny learns how to yell "track" when you want to pass someone. He uh, takes out a few dozen people going down the tow rope. Skis under a horse between some trees. Finally Track. comes to a stop by knocking over a tree and a gag that's like out of a goofy cartoon. Uh, not a human, not a human thing to do. But that was new to me. The track thing I'd never heard that before. Honestly, yeah, would, it's it's real though. Yeah. Okay, is yeah. it? Yeah, I looked it up because I was like, I'd, I've had the same thing. I was just like, hmm. I mean, Johnny wouldn't lie to us. Track. Surely not. Right? Maybe it's Track. a Colorado thing. Maybe it is. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Silver Hill style. Uh, they're back at the hotel. Baxter's kid is reading coverage of the carnage in the paper. He got a, a lot of newspaper coverage. Apparently, Johnny caused a record number of injuries, and doctors remain baffled as to how he survived. In fact, <laughs> anthropologists from Harvard want to measure the thickness of his skull. That's good. I was kind of pleased they hung a lantern on how ridiculous that was. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, you should have died. And even the movie knows that. Uh, the Baxters decide, well, this has got to be good publicity, but it's also bad for loans. Apparently, Mr. Wainwright wasn't impressed by any of this, and Johnny did not get his loan. But just then, there's a knock at the door, and it's Mr. Ridgeway asking if Johnny has reconsidered. Johnny, of course, says no, because Johnny is Johnny. Ridgeway says that if Johnny's determined, he'd like to help his dream come true. Johnny says he needs 25000 bucks to open the hotel. Ridgeway says he'll give him 3000 Mrs. Baxter thinks something is up because she's a thinking human being. Uh, Johnny, however, is not listening and instantly signs the contract, which Ridgeway has suspiciously already drawn up. Uh, doesn't mm. read it. Doesn't pause. Just signs it for three grand. I think I'd account it would be a little more thorough but yeah you'd right? think so you'd think so he needed larry tate to come look it over for him but alas he does not pretty reckless johnny johnny starts uh, immediately figuring out how he's going to spend this three grand starting with five hundred dollars for liquor which <laughs> it's good to have priorities johnny gotta stay warm somehow yeah it's true as he's going about his business, Wally and Harry Morgan are trying to fix the water heater in the kitchen. It is not going well. As they're going through that chaos, Johnny's like spending money in his head, like for food. We got to have the best food. He hires Wally to be the ski instructor. Wally is thrilled about that. The daughter seems alarmed at the fact that Wally's going to live there. I couldn't tell whether she was supposed to be happy or just. Disturbed. Yeah, that's yeah, a weird relationship. A tough their, whole, yeah, their whole thing was awkward at best. Like, yeah, because she's like, "Is he gonna live here?" But mm-hmm. like later, she's kind of into it. So who knows? Anyway, Johnny's making plans for a rope tow engine. They're gonna have enough money left for a rope tow engine, which pulls the rope tow. Uh, but then the kitchen explodes. That water water heater goes up in flames. This wipes out all the extra money they were setting aside for the rope tow engine. But Harry Morgan has another idea. Turns out 
They have an old donkey engine, which I love. Used to be used for pulling logs. And uh, Harry Morgan is sure it'll work for a rope tow. They have a problem, though, with getting it up the hill because it's a big old cast iron engine on a big sled. How are you going to get that up the hill? They go back into town. Double L refuses to let them use his snowcat because he's under the thumb of Ridgeway. He seems reluctant, though. He, f- he feels bad about turning them down. I want to know the Double L story. Yep. He deserves a, a side movie of his own, a spinoff. It was strange to have Goober have such a, a minor role. I know. I expected yeah. so much more Double L than I actually got. I, th- I found it odd how long they took to discuss uh, how skiers were going to get to the top of their mountain. <laughs> as part of this yeah. movie. The percentage of the movie devoted to that. I guess that is a part, a big part of a ski lift. You know? I know. The rest it's, is just uh, on the, uh, the people. It's just gravity, and gravity's free. That's right. Uh, Wally proposes another person who has a bulldozer, which could pull the engine, but he won't cooperate either because of Ridgeway ties. Uh, all the time, Richard's been trying to get his dad's attention, but Johnny keeps blowing him off uh, pretty obnoxiously, I must say. I'm trying to concentrate. Richard, stop talking. Stop Quiet. talking. Why I'm trying to make a deal. <laughs> I'm doing business here. Doing, I'm transacting. Uh, that night, uh, Johnny and his wife are sitting by the fire. Johnny realizes again that he got tricked by Ridgeway. Yeah, you did. Uh, Sue gives him a letter that Richard wrote to him because he wouldn't listen to him. So Richard went and just wrote it in a letter, which props to Richard for like, it's a nice little passive-aggressive burn. I appreciate that. Uh, Richard proposes if the donkey engine can pull a six-ton tree out of the woods, why can't it pull itself up a mountain? Makes sense. This is the plan they go with, and it works, and everyone's excited. Uh, they ride the donkey up the mountain, and it's good to go. But on opening day of the hotel, no one has shown up. Everyone is standing around waiting for guests, and the silence is quite awkward. Why Richard? would they show up? Well, that's a very good question. <laughs> like, we're open. Okay, so? I declare we are open. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> no. Yeah. Nobody got word that there are free crackers on available at the Grand Imperial Hotel. Uh, yeah, so it's not going very well. I guess uh, they're media campaign fell through they hear a train horn in the distance jesse says it's full of big tipping skiers headed for crystal highlands wally meanwhile is off with some explosives trying to remove a stump as you do uh he blows it up this is like a monty python joke because you see this like stump fly through the air and land right back in the hole that he blew it out of this made me laugh so hard. <laughs> it's it ridiculous. It's uh, <laughs> it's like from a totally different like kind of movie. Yeah, that's true. It's Pure just such an understated reaction to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, darn. It's like, oh, darn. <laughs> Boom. But Wally's explosion also sets off an avalanche, which blocks the path of the Crystal Highlands train. I wish he had just done that on purpose. That would have been 
a nice twist. We're like, no, we're just going to cause a cave-in on the train. Uh, we see a great matte painting of the stuck train yes, in, the, in down like a, the valley. Looks like an EMD F9 stuck there. Oh, yeah, that's what I thought, too. Yeah. yeah in case, yeah, in case you guys were wondering, it was a popular yeah. locomotive used in the Royal, the Rio Grande Zephyr back in the 60s and 70s. Oh, and there uh, you go. It ran up until 1980. <laughs> I'll be damned. Uh, Wally heads back to the hotel to tell everyone. Uh, Jesse points out that instead of alerting Crystal Highlands, maybe it'd be a good idea to get those skiers in where it's warm. Uh, Dean Jones is into this. Says, uh, break out the steak, Susie, and whip up the cheese fondue. Mm-hmm. It's a great line. I'm into that. I'm into all of that. And uh, says they're about to be busting at the seams with skiers. So the fondue comes out. Everyone's happy. Somewhere they get a bunch of horse-drawn carriages. I don't know where those came from. Well, one of them was in the uh, the stable, but where did the horses come from? Well, yeah, the, where did the horses come from yeah. is what I was thinking. Yeah. It's a cool well, shot, yeah. though. It's a very uh, welcoming. The mind reels uh, to think about how nice that would be. That amount of snow. Yeah. Oh, totally. Absolutely. Uh, they take these horse-drawn carriages, pick up the skiers from the train. I'm Yeah, I'm so into this whole concept here uh the skiers including the aggressively sexy naomi who is macking hard on johnny as he drives them to the hotel the stand-in for ann margaret yes (laughs) this is very hogwarts too yeah yeah (laughs) it is it is she also reminded me of the launch the lady from her because to monte carlo yes well they're yeah very similar of a coin yeah it's kind of intense Inside the hotel, things are packed. They even have the Admiral guy who was Dean Jones's neighbor in the Shaggy DA. That guy. Oh. Very different character. Very different character. Not not as jovial at all. Uh, Chris is manning the bar, but she doesn't know how to make a hot buttered rum. And Sue is struggling to find rooms for all the people. Jesse's playing bellhop, but he seems to always find a way to carry the smallest suitcase. Like he'll take the little, like, ladies makeup bag or something and make the people carry all the big suitcases. Naomi checks in, asks Sue if she's Johnny's older sister, which of course raises Sue's hackles. And uh, back at the bar, Chris and Johnny are baffled by an order for a Harvey wall banger, which I made me laugh. Uh, Jesse even gets to do the classic old school joke. It's gotta be a vaudeville joke. When a drunk comes up and says there's a fish in his drink, and Jesse says, quiet, not so loud, or everyone will want one. That's just bits of business yeah. left and right at this point. Well, now that $500 to the bar was was going, I mean, that seemed like a lot of money for that time period. I was like, back then? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's high markup, uh, high markup stuff. Were, so it's yeah, because they were talking about fixing the... Like buying a new hot water heater was like 150 bucks. Right. <laughs> like 500 like, for the bar. Like how much? Like 500 for the booze. I'll get you there. <laughs> get a new hot water heater and fill it completely with liquor. That's right. Uh, we've got a very Dursley-esque kid who's ragging on Richard for wearing an apron <laughs> oh, as he man. serves the food. <laughs> this kid, Augustus Gloop's American cousin. Yeah. <laughs> uh. This kid's sweater should give him no room to mock. Right. I should add. Exactly. He, he's yes. got no ground to stand on. It's a real plank in the eye. 
<laughs> Richard turns to punch the kid, but winds up socking Johnny in the bread basket. Get a good Dean Jones uh, punched in the store face. <laughs> and uh, everything's going great. Later, Johnny's out on the porch decompressing. Sue comes out to talk, and Johnny's visualizing where he's going to put the tennis courts in the spring. And they talk about how tired and happy they are, and they're joking about Naomi tight pants when they hear a scream from above. And they run upstairs, a lady's standing in the hallway yelling. Johnny goes into the room, and we hear him telling somebody that, oh, you have no business being in a lady's room. <laughs> and, of course, wah-wah moment comes. It's revealed that it's Stoutheart. Ah-ha-ha. Ah. And on that pratfall, we end Act 2. <laughs> This is the most exciting thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> I still don't know what could have caused an avalanche. Probably just a freak of nature. Yeah, you can say that again, Miss Boyd. You know, you're a real hero, Johnny. Well, you rescued us and everything. <laughs> is it okay if I call you Johnny? Oh, sure, sure. We're very informal at the Grand Imperial. <laughs> Good. And you can call me Naomi. <laughs> Get up there, boy. And the jokes are piling up here, guys. <laughs> it's fast and furious. Got to keep up. Well, act three. So let me ask you this. Was the, the dog in the guest room thing, was that supposed to be funny? I mean, I wasn't sure. <laughs> Great question. Great. Yeah. I think we were meant to think it was a a, a pervert of sorts. A gentleman caller. <laughs> a, an invading pervert. But no, it was just out hard. <laughs> invading pervert. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of things that made me ask that of like, was that supposed to be funny? <laughs> there's a lot of like off color jokes that we've kind of glossed over That's too. True. Yes. It's true. True. That no. weren't real funny either. Well, it's time to hit the slopes and Jesse has this a steam engine, donkey engine, whatever you call it, humming <laughs> right along as it pulls the newly arrived guests up the mountain on the tow rope. Um, Although it is, it's a little low on wood. I think they were saying he needs to get some more woods. But uh, Dean Jones is happy as can be as he hauls in a load of wood for the hotel's fireplace while Sue is cleaning up, and Chris is doing some skiing of her own. Well, everything seems to be going really well. Well, that is until that cornball Naomi Voigt comes down the stairs, and she has it bad for Dean Jones, as we said. And if you know, uh. Yeah, so she's got a bad for Dean's. And, and she really wants to, Dean to give her private skiing lessons, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, it, it's hard to tell if Dean Jones is enjoying the flirting or not. I wasn't quite sure. He was like, be really happy, then really concerned. Um, yeah. But, then you'd uh, be happy and then scared. Yeah, because he's certainly aware of Sue's feelings on the matter, uh, which I guess is a good thing. But uh so, but meanwhile, Wally is prepping for teaching his first skiing lesson by reading the book titled How to Ski. Uh, and Wally figures he's learned enough from the book and he's ready to start with his first student, who's a, a reluctant Mrs. Grabble. And, uh, and in doing so, he finds his way down the mountain out of control and ends up hanging on what kind of looks like a, a larger Charlie Brown Christmas tree kind of leaning out. <laughs> Over the edge of a cliff and just hanging on for dear life. Okay, let me just say, don't have your beginner ski lessons next to the enormous cliff 
Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking that. This is the most ridiculous thing in the entire movie, that they're having their ski lessons here. Beside this giant death cliff. <laughs> when he and he goes over, Miss Grabble yells, Man overboard. <laughs> I was like, Thanks, Grabble. Well, word gets back to Jesse, who blows the steam engine's whistle, getting Dean Jones's attention as well. And they stop the tow, and Dean Jones heads over to help him out, who's also skiing out of control until he's saved by the lizard king himself, Jim Morrison. <laughs> yes. <laughs> What is going on with this? The extras in this rescue scene are top notch. Yeah, man, that guy. What a look. Could be be Joe Perry. I don't know. But yeah, Jim Morrison. Could have been Joe Perry. That dude's going to (laughs) break on through. That's right. That's funny. I said, break on through to the other side, man, he says. But not really. Uh, so yeah, Chris and some other folks stopped Dean Jones. Uh, one who looks just like, like we said, the doors is Jim Morrison and Dean Jones is clueless about what to do, suggesting that they get a helicopter. He's like, get a helicopter. They use those, don't they? (laughs) Come on, Dean. (laughs) Luckily, Jesse has his head on straight saying he'll lower Dean Jones down using the donkey engine. And he gets a rope around him. Well, then, while Dean Jones is being lowered, Jesse grabs some more wood for the engine, because it's low, as I said earlier. And Dean Jones slips, uh, stopping just in time before he, too, goes over the edge of the cliff. Well, during the commotion, nobody notices that a burning log has fallen out of the engine. And it winds up uh, laying on top of the, t- the tow engine's anchor rope that's holding it in place on the mountain. Well, Dean Jones gets to his feet. And crawls out on the skimpy tree to help Wally, who tries to explain what happened. But De- but Jones just tells him, "Wally, shut up." <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. The tree starts to give way, and Wally grabs a hold of Dean Jones, essentially around the neck, just choking him. But uh, luckily, Jesse's able to pull them up to safety. Well, unfortunately, that burning log burns through the anchor rope, sending the engine down the mountain with Jesse on it. Uh, but he's blowing the steam whistle like he's riding a train and Dean Jones is still attached to the rope. Now this was, you know, you were talking about the ski stunts and how it looked like how they didn't kill themselves. This really looked like they could have killed someone. Yes. The one where they like sling him around the the tree because he's, Yeah. yeah, yeah, that one was wild. Like one thing goes wrong and that guy's like getting ripped in half. Yeah. You know, cause he's attached to this huge engine and if, yeah, it was just, and then he's got it wrapped around his waist. And it's just like, that's not good at all. And these people are falling down. It's like clotheslining all these people. Mm-hmm. It was, I really was amazed that, I, I don't know, maybe somebody did get hurt, but yeah, that was incredible. Um, and the thing is, it wasn't like amazing stunts. It was just dangerous stunts. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, well, to make things worse, yeah, they're heading down the mountain and they're headed towards the hotel. Uh, Jesse is doing his best to steer it away, but no, no luck. And the engine with Jesse and Dean Jones attached burst through the hotel wall, through the lobby and out another wall. Oh, so this is where I started having memories of the movie again. Like I, I distinctly remember this scene as a kid, them yeah. plowing through pretty, the wall. Pretty impressive thing to do. <laughs> Wreck your set and crash this thing through the set. Yeah. It comes flying through and it finally comes to a stop in a snowdrift as poor Susie watches helplessly. Now, you know, I said at the beginning, it felt, it looks like that's the same house because you can see through it. It looks like there was, you can see the snow in the background and the same lighting and everything. If they, 
if they shot it on location, that's crazy that they ripped a hole in the, in the side of the hotel. But at the same time, if they shot it in a studio, that's an amazing job to match, make it match and make yeah. it look exactly as if it were on location. So either way. How did they do it? How did they do it? Well, the next day, Dean Jones is at Mr. Ridgeway's bank trying to explain to him what happened as he asks for a loan extension. He puts a positive spin on it, saying that even though all the guests have left, they all said that they had fun while it lasted. <laughs> and he was turning on that Dean Jones charm, too. Uh, Ridgeway isn't going for it, but says he likes Baxter, and he doesn't want to see him throw away any more good money after what's quickly becoming a money pit. And he even offers him $200 of his own money to help him with moving expenses to get back to New York City. Ridgeway's secretary, who's been kind of making these funny faces, Mrs. Winging, Wingington, is disgusted by Ridgeway's <laughs> offer. Wingington. Uh, she's making those faces, so we know. And then Dean Jones thanks him for what he thinks is a gracious offer, but he's, he still declines since he still has five days left to find the money. Mm. Um, he doesn't know where he's going to get that money, but he says he'll find a way, and he leaves just as Mrs. or Miss Wingington shows him a, her sign of approval. She's like, yeah, kind of a thing. It's just weird. If, I mean, if I would have been Baxter and I saw this lady doing that to me, I'd be like, what? what yes, I thought I had the same thought. Like, <laughs> Let me, uh-huh. I wish there had been more of this lady. This is Mary Wicks, a great character actress. I wish she had been in the movie more. Uh, she should have jumped ship on Ridgeway earlier and joined Team Baxter. She could have hooked up with Jesse. They could have been like an item. Yeah. So yeah. I think oh. she should have jumped ship way earlier. I thought she was going to. I kept expecting it to happen. But yeah, because she was clearly disgusted by Ridgeway constantly. Mm-hmm. When Baxter's leaving the bank and he notices a snowmobile in the front window of the bank, which is weird <laughs> to begin with. And it's got a sign Hilarious. on it. Yeah, and it's got a sign on it announcing the Silver Hill Winter National Annual Snowmobile Race and the prize money for first, second, and third place. Now, I'm going to jump ahead just real quick. We later see that uh, Ridgeway is driving this exact same snowmobile. And so it's just really odd to me that he would put his snowmobile, I I guess because he won two years in a row. That's the only thing I think. I think he could put the trophy, the trophy, not the snowmobile. Right. Uh, that's what he should have put in the window. It's got flames painted down. It looks pretty cool. Very futuristic for the time. (laughs) <laughs> it looks like a little, like a toy um, that I would have liked to play with. Yes. Well, this gives Dean Jones an idea, and he grabs Richard and goes off to find Wally, who's at the doctor's office. As Jones explains to Richard that they're going to enter and win the snowmobile race with Wally as the driver. Oh, but, boy. But unfortunately, old Ginger Wally has his arm in a sling, and that puts the whole idea of him driving on ice, or so we think. Well, later back, at the Grand Imperial Hotel, Richard and Susie walk over to the uh, the work shed to find Dean Jones, Jesse, and Wally working on the snowmobile that they were going to enter into the race. Um, oh, that reminds me when they're walking out there to the the building, I I think they did that in one take because there's no tracks. It looks like perfectly groomed sand or not sand snow, and uh, I don't know, stupid observation, but I was just like, oh wow. They must have really covered their tracks really well, or they just did that in one take. Is it me oh, that's or is, crazy? 
Yeah. Set designers were really good, I guess. I guess so. Susie points out that Dean Jones has never seen a snowmobile before, before they came to before they came to town, and now he's going to race one at eighty miles per hour. Which while he's like, point. no, yeah, good, good point. point. And while he's like, no, it's like like forty miles an hour tops. Uh, and she goes on to give uh, Jones a piece of her mind, eventually saying, if he goes through with this crazy idea, then she's leaving because she can't take it anymore. So finally, someone with some sense. Wally utters an ill-timed, a man does what he's got to do, Mr. Baxter. (laughs) And and, uh, Jones turns and gives him a very appropriate, just shut up, Wally. Uh, And that was was good. I enjoyed that. Uh, Well, a day or so passes, and it's the day of the race. The town has come out to see the drivers and their passengers prep their snowmobiles. Dean's Jones, Jesse, and Wally are making their final tweaks to their racer. And also, since Wally is hurt, Baxter is going to be the driver, and Jesse will be the passenger. But he's not happy about it because, in his, in his own words, quote, God never intended man to travel 80 miles an hour over snow. Um, Dean Jones is looking for Sue and the kids, but Jesse says that they're probably to Denver by now, which is where he'd be if he had any good sense. Of course, he delivers this much better in his, you know, you know, yeah, cra- crazy mountain hermit way. <laughs> uh, I don't, um, yeah, maybe I don't understand the rules of snowmobile racing, or or the Grand National of whatever this is. But why do they need two people on the snowmobile? Like, what's the it's purpose of the second like guy? Back to the yeah, back to the Herbie. Uh, thing yeah you just gotta yeah. have the like in me- auto racing you have a at least spotter, you had a mechanic like a mechanic or somebody in the car with you but maybe they needed a mechanic on the snowmobile i don't it's know a, make for a comedic s- effect only yeah that i, I guess you so. start to think like man between the multiple downhill skiing you know long segments and now you're like oh we're gonna get the car chase after all you know it's not gonna <laughs> Yeah, I had to sneak it in there. It's like a James Bond movie. You got to get certain yeah, things yeah. in there. Yeah. There is uh, more blue smoke in this movie than any movie we've watched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're all breathing it in. Yeah. Well, anyway, well, the the racers they look the part. I think. Uh, yeah, actually, oh, yeah. I, I, I kind of half expected to see Bruno von Stickel show up. <laughs> uh, Logan nice. Douglas. <laughs> Does they never come back? Yeah. Instead, we get Ridgeway and Goober uh, making their <laughs> snowmobile ready you know, with his painted flames and all. And then we, like we said, we find out that they've they won the race the past two years in a row. Wow. Wally joins Mrs. Wington in the spectators area, and the announcer uh, introduces each racing team as they get ready at the start line. Now, real quick. Do we have we seen this guy, the announcer, before? He just seemed kind of familiar. He seemed super familiar, but I didn't look up to see who he was. I should have done that. Okay. But he definitely seemed familiar. Okay. Well, Baxter, uh, Baxter Snowmobile is announced as the Mighty Mongrel. And then the announcer kind of seems taken back by the name, but at first, but then Wally shouts out, Yeah, the Mighty Mongrel. Oh, then the announcer gives the signal to start the race and the flag waver. Who has a sick hairdo? Did you guys notice that hairdo that guy had? <laughs> <laughs> that was nice. Uh, he waves the green flag, sending the racers off speeding across the snow. 
Well, that is to say everyone except Baxter and Jesse, who forgot to let down the kickstand and haven't moved. Womp womp. Oh, come on. Jesse hops off to give the snowmobile a push, ending up face down in the snow, and Baxter runs back to pick him up, and they jump back on the snowmobile and take off. Interestingly, here's a little another little side note. Howard Morgan, of course, who we said has played Jesse, he's supposed to be a 75-year-old person, but in real life, he was only 57 at the time they shot this Interesting. Wow. Well, the two take off, trying to play catch-up as the rest of the racers rip down the course, and some... <laughs> Off course. <laughs> I mean, those guys were taking some pretty wide turns. Yeah. Uh, and, and, but then, you know, of course, Hawk or Ridgeway, whatever his name is, out in the front, he's just, he's just taking those corners like a, a pro. I guess that's how he, how he won. Well, the next few minutes is really just like sped up footage of the racers racing the course. A you lot know, of making sped turns, footage, yes. <laughs> crashing, just doing whatever. It, it, I was amazed that there was no music playing at this point. Uh, because it, it does come in later, but there was a lot of time that it could really have had music playing and they just had nothing. Yeah. Especially when you of, compare to like Herbie, when you got that Herbie music going on. Right. Yeah. It was just engines. Just, you know, that well, I was Dean cracked Jones up by the, uh, the Ridgeway LL scenes. Uh, cause they're, they've got their little, for their close up shots, got a little snowmobile on a gimbal or something with the rear projection behind it, like a totally different angle from like how they are being shot on their snowmobile. And just Keenan Wynn and George Goober Lindsay on this oh. like bucking Bronco snowmobile is so funny to me that you're right. That is a great combination that they could have done more. I think I would have watched a movie with just the two of them. I think oh, let, sure. <laughs> let Goober be Goober and let, Win be Hawk and just that, watch him. Oh, Goober man. just drive him crazy with Goober just being just in this good, you know, good hearted person. Yeah, good natured, well meaning ineptitude and driving him be crazy. So yeah. good. He could have been torn, like, you know, between should I being moral and being linked to Hawk. I mean, it could have, yeah, yeah, they could have played it well. Or just be just oblivious that he's a bad guy's, like, you know, it just, yeah, he's henchman. just like this cool guy. Yeah, they're just hanging out. He's just he's just happy that someone's hanging out with him. Yeah. <laughs> and, it, and that other person being Hawk. <laughs> That'd be great. Uh, uh, well, anyways, Dean Jones and Jesse end up off the course, and Jesse falls off, uh, leading him to, to declare to Baxter that he is done, and he wouldn't get on a three-week toot with him, even if it <laughs> threw, even if he threw in the Dolly Sisters. Who were the Dolly sisters? I'd like to know that. I didn't know who he was referencing. There's so much implied backstory with Jesse we need to know more about. It's true. Baxter pulls him back on so that they can finish the race. And then we get some more footage of them trying to catch up using whatever method they can, a.k.a. cheating. Uh, <laughs> uh, then, of course, we have to have the stuck throttle uh, on the... Uh, on the snowmobile and they go flying through the woods, barely missing trees and really almost killing themselves. It looks like, um, well, then finally some music does kick in as they try to overtake Ridge Ridgeway and Goober in the leader position, but not to be outdone. Ridgeway gives Dean Jones's snowmobile a good kick, sending it off the course and down into a mining shaft. <laughs> oh <laughs> but, man. Yeah, this is, this is, I was struggling at this point. 
I, I was too. Although yeah. the mining chef gave me a little hope because it's like a little breather. But golly, how many of these have we seen, guys? Yeah, it's it's the just, formula. It's, it's, the formula is strong. <laughs> Baxter and Jesse at first think they're dead because it's pitch black. <laughs> that's Jess, hilarious. Now this 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 made me laugh because Jesse points out that it's getting hotter, implying that they're in hell. <laughs> Jesse says. <laughs> It must have been that go-round he had with the widow Corazine 20 years ago. Yes. She started it. (laughs) (laughs) And this plays into exactly what we're saying. You know, we either need a prequel of uh, LL or a prequel of Jesse. Yeah, for sure. One of those two. Uh, It turns out they're traveling on a mine cart in a tunnel through the mountain, prompting Dean Jones to declare that they'll save miles and jump ahead of everyone. Again, cheating. Uh, the track yeah. comes to an end, and the two fly through the air, making a rough landing, resulting in a busted steering ski on their snowmobile. I see just how amazing it is that uh, Herbie also went through a mine. I mean, it's like uh, <laughs> the fact that this is hmm, I'd forgotten that. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Come on, Ocho. <laughs> 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 what if there had been a just an unexplained Mexican child in the city yeah. <laughs> up in the snow with some bananas? Yeah, yeah. So the mighty mongrel is now limping along uh, with this busted steering ski, and luckily they're almost to the finish line in town. Ridgeway and Goober see them up ahead and can't figure out how they got ahead of them, which is perfectly normal. Uh, the townspeople clear the track. And Dean, as Dean Jones and Jesse arrive, but the mighty mongrel can't make the turn, and the two end up crashing into a snowdrift. Well, now their snowmobile loses another steering steering ski, just as Ridgeway and Goober crashed right behind them in this, in this I guess, same snowdrift. It looked like. Well, uh, unfortunately, Dean Jones and Jesse can't recover and get the mighty mongrel across the finish line in time, and the Ridgeway and, and Ridgeway and Goober win the race for the third time. I mean, you, they get right up to it, but can't steer it across, but they're like leaning over. I mean, they could have like jumped off. They had enough time to they like jump off, it. turn it and touch it. Yeah. 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 It's just, uh, I thought it was pretty wild. They had them lose the race because they set it up like they're going to snatch, you know, victory from the jaws of defeat, but then they just lose. Bold, <laughs> man. Yeah, that's bold. Kind of a, <laughs> fairly bold. And uh typical, you know, Ron Miller style, the mighty mongrel won't turn off and just speeds off into the wilderness. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Yep. Uh, well, then late that night, a half frozen Dean Jones. Uh, this, now, the makeup, I think they just painted him blue. That's what it looked like. <laughs> <laughs> Threw white powder on him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he, he, uh, he manages to lose Jesse somehow, but then somehow finds a horse to hitch the snowmobile to. Horses are and just then, easy to come by. You just horse nap. <laughs> and they, uh, he pulls the, the snowmobile back to town and across the finish line as Susie's standing there thumbing with, like she's wanting to catch a ride. And But he welcomes her on board where she says she's glad she married him. Why? Uh, yeah. Why? Why? Again, why? <laughs> what was it about that whole champion. thing that made her be like, yeah, yeah. That's a, I should have married him. He's dumb, but... um. I don't know, but again, Herbie, it's just like uh, in the love bug when uh, oh, yeah. he has the like tires, it's at night, and they're waiting for him. 
the, like the wagon wheel tires. Or yeah, yeah. Well, a day or two later, Mr. Ridgeway and Miss Wingington, Jesse, Wally, and the whole Baxter family are back at the hotel as Dean Jones is prepping to sign over the deed to the property. It's a sad day, guys. Jones once again asks for an extension, but is denied for the last time. Well, Miss Wingington has had enough, and she's held her tongue long enough and doesn't care if Ridgeway fires her for what she's about to say because she says, she tells Dean Jones that Ridgeway only wants their place because there's an additional 3,000 acres of Douglas fir to come with it. Uh, And it's because Jacob Barnesworth had deeded it to the Ute Indians for as long as they occupied it. But then Jesse suddenly remembers. He's like, oh, yeah. And then we get some more exposition as he says that this was, this was, um, what did he say? Something like, uh, it was genocide. Yeah. It's always like, oh, it's when, uh, just like when Barnesworth gave 200 acres for the town of Silver Hill um, uh, on the condition that the town's fathers kicked in a library, a church, two hospitals, one for folks, and one for dumb animals. <laughs> and because the Indians are all gone, then it all then all the Timberland reverts back to the Barnesworth estate, aka the Baxter family. Well, Ridgeway says it doesn't matter because the payment is due today, and Dean Jones doesn't have the money. Well, Richard interrupts his father as he pleads one last time for an extension, but, but Richard says, "Hey, you know, I never saw a library in town." And, uh, and they're like, oh, yeah. So, therefore, the whole town of Silver Hill should belong to Baxter, including Ridgeway's bank. Ridgeway quickly changes his tune and offers Dean Jones what whatever he needs to get his ski resort going again. And then uh, Baxter and Susie hug it out. And she says that she would follow him anywhere, including skiing down their mountain. And the very next shot, is, of course, is the whole family carving down the side of the mountain. Baxter is bragging how he promises to teach Susie how to ski so well that he'll he'll have her at the bottom of the mountain in no time. Well, Jesse and the dog, stout-hearted, come sledding down in an old bathtub and garbage can lid. Um, <laughs> that was bizarre, but very on on brand. It felt like. Yeah. Uh, Baxter calls for the dog, who jumps out, uh, jumps out and runs up to him and jumps on him and starts pushing him backwards down the mountain again, completely out of control, just like before with Susie and the rest of the family chasing after him, coming to a soft crash at the bottom of the mountain, where Dean Jones reminds Susie of that promise he made earlier about getting her down to the bottom of the hill in no time. And the whole family has a big laugh. Ha, ha, ha. And this wraps up the final chapter to the Snowball Express. I'm fine. See, I told you I'd get you to the bottom of the hill in no time. (laughs) (laughs) Had to get in one final. 
haven't seen many movies like have the resolution be like ah, a stand of timber. Hooray, we're saved. A state law and land grabbing statutes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a, a really weird, abrupt deus ex machina. That's yeah, yeah. like, uh, although I love uh, Ridgeway is like, ha 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 ha. Oh, oh no. <laughs> like reaction. Yeah, this reaction oh. was very odd. I, yeah. in, my, in my mind, I kept thinking that they were going to find gold in yeah, the mine that would make sense and because i was like oh this is when they find the gold because i thought i mean I, I, like in my head i thought that's how i remembered it when I was, and you then they were going to you know, with apple dumpling gang that's what i was gonna say spoiler alert though maybe i'm me i miss i guess i'm mixing them up with apple dumpling gang you know but you know it did seem to be leading up to that because of jesse and as soon as yeah. he struck it and all that it was like silver or gold or something was what I assumed what it was going to be. And then it was timber. Timber, because the Indians left. So we, uh-huh. we ran the Indians off. They're all dead. It says they either dead or died off. Or, yeah. Yeah. yeah died off or they left. died off. Well, I guess we should, uh, we should rate this thing. Yeah. And we should do it using our custom skill. For each movie, we do a different grading scale. Robert... What's our rubric for tonight? Well, it's it's obvious this one. It's just going to be whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a real tour de force again from Dean Jones on the woes on this one. Plot and writing. How many woes do you give Snowball Express, Robert? Oh, uh, <laughs> ew. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I probably have to go with a two. It, it's just, it, there was a lot of problems with it. I'll agree with you. I, I, I'm going to save it for a few of the quips. Uh, we'll keep it out of the one. And the fact that, uh, I don't know. I want to give it a one because I feel like there were so many, pro- I'm going to, I'm going to just for the sake of it, I'm going to give it a one. Uh, there's a lot of things, uh, a lot of things that made me laugh, but the overall plot, I thought, was absurd, uh, but they're all absurd. So I'll go back to two. Two's my final answer. Andy. Okay. Yeah. Two woes for me as well. I, I agree. Everything you said, there was no, it was, everything was just really weak and just loosely hanging on to each other and no real good lines, very weak jokes. It wasn't horrible, uh, but there was like just enough to get it into the two category. So two woes for me. Yeah, Michael. I'm going to be the outlier here and give it a three because uh, there were things that made me laugh. And I thought all the Harry Morgan stuff was funny. And I mean, there there were things that did make me laugh that intentionally made me laugh. (laughs) And I like the I, I like the overall premise of the thing. It's just I wish there had been more about them fixing up the hotel and humor from that than stuff than like the ski slope Mm -hmm. shenanigans. That's what I was going to say is like, you know, one of my big problems with it is they get there and it's this decrepit old place. And they're like, well, I guess we're renting it now. Like, I mean, it's like, did they work on it for like a week or five days? It's like, this is ridiculous. Like it would be so easy to just write like, Oh, like that month was crazy or whatever. Yeah, I was, say to like, I was expecting sort of that, like that, 
that whitewashing that they do, like where all of a sudden they, you know, they do a, a wipe and then it's pristine hotel. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it looks like, exactly the same. Yeah. Or it's even, you know, like, you know, they only had limited money to work with. So find ways that they were like really cr- like humorously creative in yeah. fixing things up, you know, or right, using right. unexpected things like the, like the donkey engine, you know, uh, it made me wish there was like a video game where you fix up a ski lodge. Cause I, I think it, I love the idea of fixing up busted things. So that's uh, Sam ski lodge. That's what she yeah, Sam ski lodge. I would love that. That'd be great. Um, so I wish there was more of that and less like shenanigans, overt skis shenanigans. But you know, I it did appeal to me in concept, and there was stuff that made me laugh. So I'll give it a three. Yeah, I mean there were there were definitely some funny lines for sure. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with you. I'm interested to see what you give the casting and acting for this one. I mean, I'm I'm gonna give it a four. I'm tempted to go to five. Because Whoa. when you look at on paper this cast, I mean it's just stacked. Now my beef is that a lot of them were underused, but that's not really the fault of the casting department, you know. Right. And I wish Hawk had been more hawkish, uh, or Ridgeway had been more hawkish. Um, but you know, you got Dean Jones, Nancy Olson, Keenan Wynn. Everybody's a that guy in this movie, so I can't really beef with it. I'll give it a four as well, just just because of the casting. I mean, the acting was it brings it from the five in my book. Yeah, but, uh, agreed. But the casting is, you know, it's like if you're going to follow the formula, do it with these people because they are. Uh, it's like the uh, the ensemble of uh, these movies. Ron Miller presents totally. Uh, Andy. You know, even though I know the formula and I've seen enough of these Disney movies now, movies now to know, just like you said, this is this is the this is a core gang here. You know, uh, you've got those main players that all do really well, and I agree the casting was really was done well, but I don't think the acting was good. Uh, I think there were some good moments uh, that that bring enough bring it up the score up enough for me to make it a three. Uh, but I, I just could not quite give it a four yet. I understand that. Uh, Robert, what about you? I'm going to be with Andy on that one. I think uh, Johnny Whitaker and Kathleen Cody were just kind of duds. They didn't do much for me at all, but, I mean, I liked everybody else. So that gave it a three. Stoutheart. Stoutheart? Stoutheart was a uh, he was a, a non-issue for me. So <laughs> I'll agree that the kids were the weakest part they could have had. Yeah, for sure. Production value, Robert. What you got? Oh, that's a tough one. I mean, they're shooting a location in Colorado. Um, I, I guess I'm trying not to like. I don't know because the. I thought the camera work and like Michael was saying this, the, the way they shot it was kind of weird, but shooting in snow like that is this extraordinarily difficult on location. The whole time I kept thinking about how freezing cold it must've been, especially in the snowmobile uh, scenes. Um, I'm going to go with a four, I think for that. Okay. Four. My gosh. Uh, okay. That's shocking. To me, uh, <laughs> Michael, what do you got? 
Yeah, I'm going to go the same. I, I, I'm only docking it for the like the rear projection ski stuff and uh, ski mobile stuff. But otherwise, the fact that they shot on location, uh, I love the design of the hotel, like uh, that set design and everything. And, uh, you know, the fact that they had like real skiers doing crazy, dangerous stunts. And, and, and the giant computer. Yeah, oh, and that computer was pretty slick, too. That's true. And, uh, yeah, that lady's legs. So, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give it a four for this. They went to okay. some effort. Well, you all have, yeah, I, yeah, I'm going to give it a three. I, I agree that effort was made, but I, I feel like on the cinematography music tip, I'm going to ding it a little bit. Um, Andy, what you got? I, oh, you know, I, I, at the top of the show, I said that this was a weird movie. I wasn't sure how I felt about it. I think this was the part that was really kind of bothering me. Uh, because like you said, they shot it on location. Amazing job there. Beautiful location. Uh, the cinematography for like being outside shooting in those lighting conditions. Very difficult. Um, I thought the snow, just like you said, there's just the, the whole, everything, including being on set in this little small Colorado town. Uh, I loved the sets, like you said, inside the hotel. I thought that was really cool. But at the same time, just like you said, Jeff, the, there was just the music. There was like what little they had. It was just not enough. Um, and then also naming this thing the Snowball Express. What's the Snowball Express? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that could have... I, I just don't understand. So there was just like... It felt like it was just put together weird. It was edited weird. It was didn't seem well made. And so I, 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 instead of going extreme with a four or down to two, I'm going to go with a three. Whoa, as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're going to end up with entertainment value here. Robert, I'm going to give it to you. How many whoa's are you going to give it? Yeah, it's funny because, I mean, I, I think I watched this movie, like I said before, and I'd forgotten everything about it except for like two scenes, which was the donkey engine and then the kickstand on the um, snowmobile race was another scene I remembered. But, and I think it's because it just that wasn't that good. <laughs> I just didn't commit anything to my memory of this movie. And it just really, that it's just sort of the same way. I mean, I, I don't think I'm going to go back to it. So I, I would say it's going to be a two for me. I'm going to agree with you. And that makes me sad because I thought this one, you know, going into it, I I have fond memories of watching this. Um, when Michael and I watched this for a Christmas special and, and I probably would watch it again. So, but if I really open it up and think about it, it's going to be a two for me. I, I would say my rewatchability would be higher than most of the twos, but um, that is my answer. Andy, what do you got? You know, my my wife made a great observation because she walked into the room as I was watching this, and she said that she <laughs> thinks that I watched the same. She feels like that we watched the same movie over and over and over. <laughs> this is kind of what it feels like, yeah. Yeah, and... And I, I agree with her, but I think this one, we were talking about how it follows the formula uh, in many ways. and uh, But it never could, even with so many elements that should have brought it or should have made it better, 
like Dean Jones, uh, you know, when the location, all that kind of stuff, it never could really get past, you know, anything really entertaining for me. So I'm two. I'm a two as well. Okay, Michael, it's up to you to bring this up. This one's really tough for me because these are the movies that are toughest for me because I recognize their flaws, but I also really enjoy them. Uh, it's it's really it's it's really hard to square that circle, and I, I don't know. There's something really comfy. Maybe it's because I just really like snow and love the whole winter thing. Uh, really comfy and cozy about this movie to me. I mean, it's like pure comfort food. It's not. I mean, it's so routine and it's so formulaic, but it's kind of like what you need sometimes, I guess. I'm going to give it a three, but it's like the strongest three I've ever given because, I mean, I could bump up on this just from sheer enjoyment, not from, you know, not from like quality. I, I mean, I agree with Andy that the, the, the good things about it should have given it a bigger boost than that actually did in actuality. So I'll just give it a three. All right. Let's punch this into our computer, the war tennis shoes and see what snowball express got from our panel. So the snowball express came in with a score of 2.88 and we have a big three-way tie now for the 24th ranked movie (laughs) with uh, it tying with freaky Friday revisited and the black hole murder robots. (laughs) <laughs> so with a 2.88 man that's an interesting bill yeah it really films. is right below it is um herbie rides again wrecking balls <laughs> and just above it is the sword in the stone with attractive squirrels okay attractive squirrels so interesting because I, I was looking at the at the rankings here i usually don't do this but uh, michael his his rounded out at a 3.5 which is pretty high Oh, and yeah. um, that, that reflects my feelings. I, I just find um, it enjoyable. That would have put it um, in there with splash for him and above honey. I shrunk the kids. <laughs> that's weird. Above honey. I shrunk the kids. Wow. Yeah. And that's surprising. Does that feel right, Michael? I, I, it's weird because I enjoy this way more than I enjoyed splash, but I would rank honey. I shrunk the kids above it. So that's odd. But what about honey? I shrunk the audience. Well, that's in a class by itself. Maybe I need to go back. Maybe the computer's got a glitch in it. Maybe I need to go back and check mm-hmm. the numbers on yeah, honey. I shrunk the kids. It has a glitch. It happens. Yeah. it happens from time to time. Well, anything else to say about this one before we pack whoa, it in? Whoa, whoa. Yeah. I will I mean, say I love that a there hot is buttered a, rum right about now. Yeah, or Harvey Wallbanger. Or Harvey Wallbanger. Uh, there is actually a hotel in Colorado called the Grand Imperial Hotel. And uh, it is it is of great vintage, and it it is not as deluxe as this hotel in the movie, but it looks pretty sweet. Does it have a working hot water heater? I'm assuming yes, and no does raccoons it, as well. Does it have a donkey engine? Well, we can only <laughs> hope. How do the people get to the top of the mountain? Okay. Well, <laughs> we have said what we have had to say about this classic film. A classic era. What did Leonard Malton have to say about it? Leonard Malton gave it two stars out of four, said 
Slapstick Ski Chase is the highlight of a formulaic Disney comedy. Agreed. Well, highlight, no. Uh, but. Yeah, you like the slapstick. <laughs> now, you, you remember in the 80s, there was like a series of just like eight comedies, of skiing comedies, you know. Do you guys remember all those? There was like Ski School. and Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I can't yeah. Well, it was the nation's most popular sport, say. according well, to Dean yes. Jones. Right. It makes me wonder if there was if this was like the precursor to it, if this was like the one that kicked him off. You know? It could have been. Could be. Could be. Well, that is a wrap for that one. What's coming up next, Robert? In season two, we took the podcast through the Herbie franchise and all of its glory. A time when Herbie, the car with a mind of his own and a heart of gold, caused quite a stir with our very own Andy when he thought it was egregious that Herbie was able to sneak out of the dealership without any issue. Some might call it a simpler time in the society, but here we are almost four seasons in the bag and we're going back to the Herbie well one more time. Only this time our freaky Friday favorite Lindsay Lohan is starring in it. And I'm sure the hilarity will ensue. And what will Andy think this time around with Herbie? Let's just say this is one of the few ones that I have never seen. (laughs) Really? I have seen this movie. I have seen this movie. Yeah, you have. Does this yes, one have I a monkey have. in it? <laughs> no. You're thinking of Dunstan checks in. <laughs> Maybe so. <laughs> Dunstan checks in. Well, what do you think about Herbie? Have you seen it, listener? Have you heard us talking about it? Not yet. We're about to. But, uh, you know, the other day I heard Robert talking about season five for crying out loud. He's plotting in his... Uh, you know, and my wife hangout. is plotting evidently too. She's yeah. is your wife excited <laughs> about Herbie <laughs> coming back? Uh, I don't. I need to run that by her. I don't know because she was so anti Herbie before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's she created quite a stir on social media with her suggestions. So don't let her drive the ship, folks. We yeah, need your please, suggestions no, too. We need your voice more, more. Because <laughs> um, that's not going to happen. But your suggestion could happen. So why don't you write us at info at medfieldfilm.com or find us on social media at medfieldfilm 24-7, waiting for your suggestions, toiling endlessly to make our next episode and season. Are we? Are you in a dead-end job? Is Dick Van Patten getting you down? Do you find yourself dreaming of a long-lost uncle you never knew about dying and leaving you his prized hotel in the middle of nowhere? Well, if that happens to you, don't waste your time praying for an avalanche to stop a train so people will find your hotel. Don't leave it to chance and don't do it yourself. Get someone to help you with the marketing. You know who. That's right, Todd. Todd the Snowball Express Napperick can brand your hotel, get your logo out on the web, help you with merch, and all sorts of exciting graphical needs. He's going to make you look good, and he's going to make your hotel look good, and you're going to find him at bydandgraphics.com. You know what that spells. He's also on Upworks. Upworks! Look for him, and don't waste your $3,000 loan on stuff like food and booze for the bar. Just blow it all on graphics and swag because Todd's going to make you 
and your new hotel investment look good. Okay, so check out Todd. He's a great friend of ours here at the program. We'll look forward to seeing you next month with Herbie. Fully loaded. Mighty Bedfield, Lord.